And I think the trust of a leader speaks to their true leadership. So if you need someone constantly coming to you and asking advice and, and what to do next, that's really the ego of the CEO or the leader. It's not, it's, it's not being needed. Honestly, speaks to your leadership more than a team that's constantly making you feel like you're the person with the answers. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers, and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we talk with an exceptional leader who grew up in a world of entrepreneurial ventures, lost her first business in the 2008 recession, thrived as a director of human resources, and has a passion for helping small businesses scale through remote fractional staffing company, Boson. She has a bachelor's degree from Western Kentucky University, inherited her first business at 18 years old, and was the director of HR at Priority Payment Systems prior to founding Boson Solutions with her best friend, Nicole. I'm honored and privileged to introduce you an innovative entrepreneur who helps small businesses remain nimble and profitable in any economy is an expert on fractional remote teams and is leading one of the fastest growing fintech companies in Atlanta. Liz Goddard. Liz, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Craig. It's always intimidating hearing someone talk about you like that, but I, I hope not to disappoint. Uh, You'd be fine and uh, loving the work that you're doing. So where did you where did you grow up and what was kind of that that shining light or that dream that you were that you were aspiring to as a young child? So I grew up kind of a mix between, um, I grew up in the States and I grew up between Arizona and um, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. And you know, what's interesting is I, I thought I had a normal upbringing, um, which was my dad having business after business after business. So, and I just kind of grew up following him around, watching him run these businesses. And they ranged, honest to goodness, from a, a barbecue restaurant that won like the best barbecue in Arizona every year to um, going and selling Native American artifacts and jewelry at rodeos. And my brother and I created our own business of buying Cokes from Walmart and then going in the stands and selling them as like concessions. I mean, as simple as that. Um, so I guess that was my first entrepreneurial venture. Um, we would travel with rodeos in the summer and sell Native American um, jewelry. Um, auctioneer business. And then eventually uh, he had a business that was a, it's like TJ Maxx for mattresses. It was called Sleepwell Mattress Outlet. Um, and I inherited that when I was 19 and, and he passed away suddenly. My brother and I kind of were thrust into entrepreneurship, um, whether we wanted to or not. Yeah. Wow. So inheriting a business at the age of 19, obviously a challenging time to, to lose your father uh, from cancer, I believe. So, you know, for you coming into that business was, was it pretty scary or was it just like, Hey, you know what, I've got to do this. This is my family. This is my dad's um, legacy. And, and I want to make sure that it continues on. 
it was all of those things. I think that um, it was really scary, but the benefit of being young is that you're also dumb and you don't really know what all to be afraid of and you have no idea what you're doing. So, you know, I think that my brother and I just said, you know, it was like a question for a second, were we gonna sell it after he passed? And honestly, my brother urged me not to. He was like, let's, let's try it, let's give it a go. So we sat on the board there for several years. Um, and then we both ended up trying to run it after we graduated college. And ultimately we lost it in the recession, which was really sad. It was really heartbreaking actually. Yeah, I can imagine. And, but, but a lot of life lessons during those times as well. You know, you've got to grow up real fast when you, when you take on a business. And, and you talk about there being on the board of directors first before actually running it. So how is it going from seeing it as your dad's business to now kind of looking at it from a governance and strategic level to then actually being in the day to day? Well, I think when it was my father's business, I didn't know much about it at all. I'd come in and help run the office in the summers you know, nothing, uh, didn't know a lot about that. And then when we sat on the board, it, you have to understand like I was still going to college. So I would come in for board meetings um, on the weekends. We would, we would, you know, run through numbers and it was just a very surreal experience. And I remember at one point thinking like numbers don't mean anything to me. You know, we're like, what's $300,000. It's just, it, it was, you were seeing P and L's and I just lost the understanding of like, what, what is money? <laughs> um, so it was just interesting learning all of that at such a young age. And, and so from an HR point of view, how did you go about recruiting people? Obviously you needed someone to run the company. Uh, what, were you, what were you finding out at that point around what was important when hiring people and, and what were some of those mistakes that you made along the way? So, I didn't really put on my HR hat until I'd gotten into my corporate career. Um, the company we inherited already had a COO. And so that person kind of stepped up and, and ran the operations, the day to day. And, and then we went into a recession. So we weren't going through a lot of hiring. We were actually having to you know, lay off and that was a really difficult thing to do. Um, so we learned more about just kind of the heartbreak of letting good people go or you know how how to choose teams like who's who's the best um, asset and that was that was difficult to do at that age yeah so, so once the you had the company had finished and you know in the recession there what was your next thought what did you want to do well my next thought was i'll never own another business <laughs> that was my most like my very first thought famous last um, words <laughs> yes exactly and then then it was I needed any different experience. So I, this isn't working. Um, and I moved to Atlanta. So moved from Nashville to Atlanta and I fell into a career that I loved, which was human resources. And I never would have expected it, but it was sort of getting to pull all of my experiences thus far into, into this career, which was, um, you know, learning, understanding how businesses work. So that was able to help that I was able to help, you know, how do employees fit into that picture? And then just having gone through difficult times, being able to relate to employees. And it just felt like a really good fit for me at that time in my life. And so what did you, what did you feel are the most important things when hiring people for a company? The most important, this is something that took me a bit to learn. So the most important thing is not the resume. So I think when you look at a resume and you see somebody who went through, you know, top notch schools, um, that may not be necessarily somebody who I'd want to hire. 
Um, maybe they had been in a, let's say if they were accountant and they had worked for one of the top four firms, that may not be something that's a good fit for my business because they may not be used to having to put on a lot of different hats. And so to really read through a resume and get to know the person and understand what has their walk been and you know, what kind of attitude are they going to bring into that position and ultimately feed into the culture? And, and a value, like the value alignment, is that really crucial as well? Because obviously you want to have a diversity of people on your team, but how far does that go in relation to values? Candidly, I think it's hard to get values out of a person who's interviewing. It's difficult because you're talking to them one or three times and most people. And so you do want to, you do want to pick your one or two core values that you think really drive the company. And, and hopefully they're being honest with you that they share those as well. That's important. Um, but I know this is not a popular answer. Sometimes you just get lucky <laughs> and, and they are a really good hire. Um, but again, I think the more you can get into how they problem solve, how they've made decisions, how they've um, conquered things in their past, gives you a better idea of who that person is. And you're in a company that was scaling really fast and it went from being a small to a medium sized business of over 500, you know, full time staff for you during that time. What were the key learnings you felt as you started as the company started to grow? what were the shifts that you were seeing in the way that the HR was structured and the type of people that you needed to lead it in the future? Um, one is just, I felt very blessed that the leaders of that company kind of let me do what I wanted to do. So I found that um, I kind of could make my dream job and then I got to, so that was great. You know, when I first came on, there were 99 employees. I was the accounting manager. I was also, in, you know, the HR administrator. And then I realized if I really want to take this career to the next level, like I'm gonna have to push myself, I'll have to push the company. And it was creating, as any company scales, creating processes, creating these procedures that made you not have to be the bottleneck of decision-making um, and then just getting good team players. So I was, I was very blessed at that company. And so you had, had this uh, great career going in HR, working for other companies. What drove you to leave corporate America and fall back onto your words <laughs> of becoming an entrepreneur and, and running a business? Well, my co-founder, Nicole, she and I worked together at that company. And, and actually, I'd known her prior to working at that company. Um, I kind of connected her with who she ended up working for. And we realized we worked really well together. Not only were we just very good friends, like we had this like really good rhythm at work. And um, we used to just dream of these different businesses that we would own together. I don't know, I just had an itch to start a business again. And I don't know why on earth I had that, but it kind of got to the point where I just couldn't ignore it anymore. Um, I was getting a little burned out on HR. Um, and honestly, there's this, <laughs> there's this influencers family on Instagram who they travel nonstop. They travel, um, they traveled for three years straight with their family. And I thought, man, look at their life. They're living it differently. I, I have to believe that my life isn't meant to stay in a cubicle or an office or under, you know, fluorescent lighting. And so I saved up the money and I left my job. I, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I knew I just needed a breath to figure it out. Yeah, oh, I love that. I love that approach that. It's like, let's take the leap and then we'll figure out how to fly afterwards. Um, I think that's beautiful. Where did the idea of Bosun come from? 
So we first started out, the company was called CC My Admin. And the idea was, we'll just give executive admins to CEOs who don't need a full-time CEO. I mean, sorry, full-time executive admin. They maybe need like five hours a week or 10 hours a week. Um, so we did that. And then ultimately all these other needs were emerging with small businesses. And my business partner, she came from a very small background, serial entrepreneur, father. And we thought, what would our dads need if we had this business? And how do we, my, my kind of trauma around business ownership was, how do we make ourselves recession proof? What's the biggest expense? And that's when we really started figuring out who our client was, what do they need? And ultimately the small business owner needs shocks in their budget. They need shocks in their company where they can absorb hard times. Um, and a lot of that is around human capital and it's going to, you need an accounting manager, but you may not need them eight hours a day, but sometimes you might and marketing and it's going to ebb and flow because small business, you're constantly pivoting. And so we built teams around that and we started outfitting those small businesses with these teams. And that's when we really started seeing a lot of success was, okay, there's this niche need in the market and we were hitting it just right. Yeah. Okay. I like that. So it, you know, the understanding of the asking that question, what are our fathers needed to run their business? I think that's a great question to ask. And, and sometimes people are looking straight for the answer rather than looking for what is the question that will help them bring out the answer. So I like that. Mm -hmm. So how did you, when the company first started and you're, you're, you're growing it, how did you approach getting clients? Um, we, this is not what I would advise most people to do, but we were the Queens of, yes, we can do that. Um, so we would meet somebody, we would say, what are your needs? They would say, do you do that? We're like, yes, we can do that. Um, and so we were really, we ran the gamut and eventually kind of narrowed in on what we were really good at, but, uh, we got clients by literally just pounding the pavement. I mean, I would go in office complexes. I would go to networking events. I mean, I hustled is all I could tell you. Um, and then Nicole on the flip side was staffing constantly. I mean, we were working 12, 13 hour days, just trying to build this company and a reputation around this company. And, um, you know, three and a half years later, we built it still growing, but, um, you know, in a much better place, healthier place in terms of balance. And so for you, if you were to start the business again, what would you change? That's a really good question. Um, well, I guess I, I'm going to answer it. Like if I could tell, like if myself now could go and have a coffee with Liz, then would just be to be confident in your pricing, to know kind of your value. Um, other than that, all the bumps I needed to learn. And so the, I would just say, Hey, it's okay to charge this and it's okay to ask for that. And it's okay to say no. Uh, at the time it was hard to say no, but you know, I think everybody goes through that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you don't learn unless you're being challenged. And so it's great to throw yourself in the deep end and, and just uh, figure out how to learn to fly. Mm -hmm. How does Boson work? Like what is the process to say, I'm a business owner, I'm trying to figure out how to scale. How, how does it work when I come to you? So we have a really consultative sales process, which is you come to us and saying, it's not working. I don't know why it's not working, but it's not working. Um, and I sit down with you and I say, okay, well, this is kind of what I'm identifying. Some of it's a technology issue. So we like to say we bring three components to our clients. One is technology. We want to automate and make your team as lean and efficient as possible. 
Um, the second is obviously the team members. Um, and then the third are processes. So what process can we write around those two things in order for you to be scalable? And um, we, we do that. And it, it typically takes like 30 to 45 minutes. I mean, you're, it's so hard to see it when you're in it, but you know, I have a unique experience of being able to see behind a lot of small businesses, small to medium. And um, I can pretty much tell you where you're at and where you need to go at any point. And so that's, we identify, hey, what's one role we can take off? And then let's supplement it with a couple other roles and let's look down, let's look down a year, three years and think about what roles you're going to need in the future. Um, and the cool thing with us is that you can kind of plug and play as you need. Yeah, beautiful. So I know a lot of business owners, you know, they want to scale, but feel like they don't have enough work to employ a full-time staff. So they tend to hold off and they overload themselves, overload themselves, and they get to a point where they just start to plateau because they don't have the right support around them to allow them you know, to enable them to grow in an effective way so for you you went away from the path of kind of all right we'll we'll get you a full-time staff in this role and this role to looking at fractional and so how does the fractional um, staffing work you know because it can be from like one hour to 40 hours a week so how do you how do you run that as a business and and how do you connect with your contractors to to be able to um, support the businesses well it's a balance and i would say the the thing that my co-founder nicole is fantastic at is really having a relationship with our contractors and team and knowing their bandwidth and and it's it's the spidey sense she has of being able to know hey this is too much this is too little um and and so we kind of have to blend the client's expectations with the lifestyle that the contractor wants to live. Um, and you, and the way you do that is really focus on deliverables and owning processes. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, a small business owner struggles like, Oh, I don't have enough work, but I'll, I'll actually challenge you on that. The biggest problem or that CEOs have are they think they're the only ones who can do it. And that's what really keeps them from scaling. Um, it's not that they don't have enough work. They, they do, um, it's just like, oh no, I couldn't possibly hand that off. And I have seen some CEOs that I, I'll go through the process of our sales and I'll eventually just say, I don't think you're ready because ultimately, no, I could put a replication of you in there and you still wouldn't like them because you think you're the only one. And ultimately their business is always going to stay as small as just them. I, I've tried to fix it. I've tried to, <laughs> to play therapist. It doesn't work. Um, so the idea is just making sure that the CEO is in the right place and that we blend the right team members in. Yeah, that's a great point you bring up and, and I know I've fallen into that trap as well at times. And it's, it's about, you know, being prepared to, uh, get people around you that can do, uh, 90% of the things that you think you do really, really well to be be happy with that and not 100% of exactly how you want to do it, but then hire the people that do stuff that you don't know anything about and you know you're not good at. Yes, I mean, I will tell you, I'm horrible with detail, not great at follow-up and my business partner, she's kind of the same. So she's great at follow-up, but she, we're both, details aren't our things. And so we hire people around our, our, our team that, and we use the same fractional um, employment that we're selling, we bring on people who are really detail oriented, they're quiet and like, we're having like, we're really a lot of energy. We're having our Oprah moments. We're like, everybody gets a car and everyone's like, oh, thank you. It is quiet and it's kind of boring, but that's who I need to brown me out because I'm a lot, I have a lot of personality and I need someone to cover where I'm weak. 
and that's that's how I hire. Yeah. Okay. Very very good. And it's you know it's been comfortable in yourself as a as a CEO or business owner to actually go. You know what? It it's it's okay not to be me. <laughs> it's okay to to allow people to express themselves and. And it's okay to be vulnerable enough to know here are my weaknesses and I need people to support me. Mm-hmm. So from a, a hiring process, you know, obviously you talked about Nicole and the work that she does in, in work connecting the contractors with the teams or with the, the companies. Does, do you do majority of the hiring process or do you just enable the platform so that um, the business owners can actually hire their own or CEOs can hire their own staff. How does the process of hiring work? It is, um, it's very people driven. So we don't have a platform and that's by design. Um, we actually get a lot of clients who have tried the platform um, fractional or contract and it hasn't worked for them. Um, we have a vetting process that not only makes sure that they know like, skills, they, they interview well, they present well as a client, but we've created a simulation test that challenge critical thinking skills, um, that challenge you to use software correctly, that you know how to do it in a way that can really be applicable to everyday tasks. Um, and then of course we do thorough like internet checks, making sure that you know background stuff comes back and confidentiality is not gonna be an issue. So that's where we're really strong. And honestly, why we get so many referrals is because we provide just we have we work with some amazing team members and that's that's would be probably our biggest source of pride is just how much our clients love the people they're working with on our team and so what would the the time frame between say a company contacting you to actually having someone on the ground working for them it depends on the role but we shoot for no more than 72 hours so three days and it could be quicker, it could be longer, depending on the specific needs, but we are constantly recruiting. We aren't, we don't put all our thumbs and wait for someone to come and hire us. Um, we're constantly sourcing good, good people and taking them through and, and keeping in contact with them. So, you know, we had, do have a good pipeline. And what I like about your company is you're actually creating uh, a whole lot of opportunities for people that find it difficult to get work because they're probably in a position where they don't want to work full time and, and they're quite prepared to be working for multiple people, but this that they're facing a whole lot of jobs that are still full time. So being able to give that flexibility is, is really crucial. We call it, it's sort of like co-working, but with people. So we're, we're sharing these amazing resources. And I mean, you're having, you know, it was a senior project leader at Salesforce and now you can afford it like this small business. It's shocking. Um, and it's really rewarding. I, I love doing that. Yeah, very good. So what is the secret to managing remote teams and keeping them engaged and productive and accountable uh, through, you know, through your fractional, you know, getting fractional staff members? It's two things. One, communication, um, which really fixes 80 to 90% of anybody's problem in any relationship is just clear and open communication. Um, and the second is focusing on deliverables instead of punching in and out in time. And honestly, that's across the board. I, I think I get really passionate about this because it's also putting on my HR hat. Like whether you are you are only managing full-time employees or you're doing a fractional role, um, you need to make sure that you're managing based on, are they doing a good job and are they hitting deliverables and less about micromanaging. The more you look at time and how that's spent, the more your employees just not going to like you just heads up. 
Um, but if you give them ownership and you give them deliverables and expectations, they're going to, they're going to jump over the bar every time. Yeah, very good. I like that. And I think it's important because anyone can, <clears throat> anyone can do work. Um, uh, but the, it is more of a challenge to ensure people are doing work that allows them to accomplish meaningful goals and outcomes. And so clarity of what's required is so important in that sense. And I think the trust of a leader speaks to their true leadership. So if you need someone constantly coming to you and asking advice and, and what to do next, that's really the ego of the CEO or the leader. It's not, it's, it's not being needed. Honestly speaks to your leadership more than a team that's constantly making you feel like you're the person with the answers. Yeah, it's good. And I think there's a difference between a leader that is, has a motivational style versus an inspirational style. So the one who motivates is one who is short term bursts of energy, but the staff rely on that leader and keep coming back to them for the motivation. Whereas an inspirational leader will inspire people to bring out their own motivation and therefore then they can go off and run their own 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 areas. And I think that's really important because yeah. I see so many people trying to motivate and it's like, no, you need to inspire. The motivation out of the person not motivate the person so is fractional teams the future of small businesses well i sure hope so craig <laughs> no um i i think it is i think that it makes so much sense when you are with a small business your income is variable right it's going up it's going down it just is um and I think the traditional mindset is, okay, well, we have to account that even though we have ups and downs, we need the staff and it's a fixed expense. And yes, some months we're going to lose money and some months we're going to um, profit. But if you kind of switch your brain to what if your staffing was also variable? So when your business was high, your, your cost of labor was high and vice versa. And that's exactly how we run our business. I mean, I look at our, every time we invoice, I know exactly how much we've spent on our internal team, what our cost of goods is, and it, should, it always reflects. So when our, our labor is high, guess what? So is our revenue. And when it's down, so is our revenue. And so it makes so much sense to tie the two together. And I, I, I'm, I don't know why more people aren't doing it. I was surprised that we didn't have a lot of competitors in this space. So. Yeah, no, it's interesting because, you know, we see a lot of people who go to offshoring um, around the world and, and use different companies or, or different countries to to get their their staffing needs and whether it be fractional or full time to limit their labor costs or et cetera as well. For you, where do you hire your staff from? Well, that's kind of our secret sauce. So we we have a lot of recruiting methods. Um, we, we've built a really great internal um, referral program with our team. So a lot of our referrals, which is nice at this point, um, but we, I mean, we're, we're using all, all sorts of platforms to find people. Yeah, and they're mainly based out of America? They're, they're solely based out of America. Okay, that's good. Good point of difference there too as well, uh, which is mm -hmm. very, very good. Um, for the, for companies that are looking to uh, employ staff remotely and through fractional type team approach, what are some key things they need to be aware of? 
um, just making sure that they have the right technology in place. Um, it's so readily available. And honestly, a lot of it's free or very inexpensive. You've got Zoom. That's going to be crucial in terms of making a connection. I mean, you and I were able to look at each other right now, even though this is an audio recording. So, I mean, you make more of a connection that way. Um, you've got project management softwares that are pretty much free, CRMs. So make sure that's in place so that your team knows what's expected, where to go, how to use it. Um, and then again, I know I keep saying this, but communication's key, making sure you have those weekly. I don't think they need to be daily. You could do weekly team calls um, and just make sure everybody on your team, fractional or otherwise, is on that call just to sync and make sure we're all going in the same direction and, and we're pumped about it. Yeah, it's, I think that's really important, you know, because it's easy when you've got people that are working part time and, and could a casual type staff to forget that there's still a really important collaborative team approach around what you're doing and that connectivity and feeling of belonging is such a powerful um, part of running in a successful team. Yeah, and I think even even on weeks when we have calls, we may not have like a ton to report because we're like, hey, there's just we just don't have a lot to bring up this week. Still keep your meetings and and treat those meetings as just the most important priority to you because your team wants to know that you want to see them too. And, and if you don't have a lot to talk about, don't make things up. Just go, hey, here's something stupid I did this weekend. What did you do? I mean, it's it's just creating a very human element within your culture that I think is crucial. Yeah, the human aspect is so powerful. So how do you ensure that you manage your energy and performance each day so that you can lead your team in the best possible manner? I had to figure out once I started this business, you know, what did I need on a day-to-day -day basis? And that's it took me a minute because I worked in a culture, a corporate culture where you work from nine to five and it was just very you know, predictable. So what I found is that I have to have something active in my day every day. Otherwise, I'm not a very nice person to be around. I need to be social and I need to be analytical. So those are my personal things that I need. Um, when one of them are off, it's I can tell and people around me probably could too. And what do you do for exercise? What keeps you active? So I love to be outdoors, anything outdoors. Um, luckily, I, I remember of a gym that's really close to my house and it's like small, it's like four people work out at a time and you're, you have trainers. And so I just, I really like strength training. I mean, I know it sounds silly or weird, but I really enjoy lifting weights. Um, and then really bike riding, skiing, snowboarding. I love it all. And do, and do you have any routines kind of at the start of the day or throughout the day that allow you to kind of free your mind or, or set your mind up? Um, so that it's clear and you can deliver your best um, throughout the day? I think the most routine thing I do would just be my time when I have coffee, whether, you know, like you're praying or you're reading or whatever that's going to be, that, that kind of sets me off, sets me up. Other than that, I just make sure there's 30 minutes to an hour a day that I'm outside doing something. Um, yesterday I was, you know, standing my deck. That's what I did outside yesterday because I, it was fun for me to be outside and work with my hands. Um, so I, it's hard to predict when that hour is going to free up, but I try to find it every day. Actually, that just brought up an interesting thought in my head. So when, when you're a CEO and you're leading a team and you've got, you, you've got staff that might be only working a couple of hours a week, or how do, you, how do you manage working with that person to ensure they have the best performance when they've got all these other roles they might be involved in, but you don't actually have much control over their total workload they have as a person. That's why I, I said deliverables earlier, you have to focus on deliverables and making sure that they meet them and they know how to meet them. So with my team, 
I, we say like, Hey, if this, if this change happens with a client or we bring on a new client or they leave, um, my expectation is that by the next day, everything's been done. So I don't care if it's at midnight or 2 PM, I could care less when you do it. As long as when I log in the next day, like everything's been processed. And so that's my thing. It may be different for your business, but you have to focus on deliverables and the expectation of when that's going to be done. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. I like that. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions like you did earlier in the, in the session. When was the last time you did something for the first time? For the first time. Okay. Well, if you ask me two weeks from now, it would be fly fishing. Um, but I guess I, as of right now, cause I'm supposed to do that in a couple of weeks, I'm in Montana. I learned to surf for my 31st birthday, which was three years ago. So learn to surf. And you still surf now? Yeah, I actually have done it a couple times since then. Anytime I get to where an ocean that has enough wave, I take a surf lesson. Brilliant. I like that. What is the one question that you would love to solve? <laughs> okay. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is I would really love to solve this whole COVID mess. Like, let's just like, I'd love to solve that problem. It's not really a question, but someone needs to do it. So why not me? Sure. <laughs> why not you? <laughs> uh, for you, what is your definition of living an extraordinary life? I think it comes down to living with purpose, being very intentional. Um, whatever that purpose is, I would recommend it not being you being the sole purpose, um, finding someone else or other things to focus your attention on, but it's living intentionally, whatever that is. Beautiful. I like that intentionally. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Well, we'd love anyone and everyone to check out our website. Uh, it's bosonsolutions.com. Um, and you know, my contact information is on there. Um, you reach out and schedule something or just schedule a call. Beautiful. And we'll put those, uh, that link in the show notes. And so you can connect with you as well. Liz, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I, I loved, you know, hearing your story from when you were very young and, you know, sort of being part of the family business to then, you know, being in a position where you had to take on the role of looking after a business at such a young age and just kind of feeling your way through it and doing the best you possibly can and and then being challenged through the recession of 2008 which a lot of businesses are going through right now um, as we deal with COVID and the economic um, challenges that the world faces right now and so I'm sure you can offer a lot of advice to people around how to cope in this situation and having that thought of I don't want to run a business again but find yourself drawn back to that a few years later after you've run a very successful HR business. I love how you asked the question uh, that Nicole and yourself asked the questions of what would our dads need right now to run their business and I think that's a great question to be asking when you're looking to grow out a company around the HR space and what you've um, developed is a, is a very clever business, very simple in the way that it's structured and simple is generally more sophisticated in the end anyway and therefore you're helping a lot of people be able to scale more effectively 
and be able to provide solutions to the challenges they face inside their business environment. Um, thank you very much for a great conversation today. It's been really enjoyable and I look forward to seeing your continued growth with Bose and Solutions. You know, you've only been together uh, two years and, and, the, and you're doing really, really well so far. So thank you very much for sharing your insights, your knowledge, um, your lessons learned, and we look forward to seeing your continued growth. Thanks, Craig. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to a brilliant conversation with Liz Goddard, future of fractional teams on the Active CEO podcast. I'm very fortunate to work with an incredible team of people who want to improve and bring their best for the team every single day. They are true servants who love advancing humanity. They ask the question, how can we be better tomorrow than what we are today? They're not out there to try and compete against other teams or other people. They're just wanting to compete against themselves. How can they be a better version of themselves tomorrow? And what it comes down to is we spend a lot of time pre-briefing, so we know what we're going to do when we go in and facilitate or coach or work with clients and even working together. But most importantly, we debrief. And our debriefs are thorough. And it doesn't matter how experienced people are or aren't, they're wanting to know from each person how they can improve. How can we improve the way we delivered it? How can we improve the way our programs are structured and designed. There's this constant and never ending improvement approach from every single person. I'm so privileged to be a part of that. So if you want to learn how you can debrief more effectively and ensure you have the right pre-brief structure in place, then reach out to me and we can help you go through the process to ensure that you can be better tomorrow than what you are today. So please contact me at craig at nrg, the number two, perform.com, or click on the contact page of craigjohns.com.au website. Coming up on the next episode, we talk with Arash Asahi, and this is a fantastic episode where we delve into the world of Taekwondo, we also delving into the world of sprint and agile teams, and we go back in time to when he was growing up in Iran. Fascinating insights. And uh, when you check out the photo of Arash, <laughs> it will blow your mind. This guy is really cool, dude. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a real pleasure. I am Craig Johns. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. 
Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.